Welcome to Talks at GS, where leading thinkers share insights and ideas shaping the world. This session of Talks at GS was recorded before a live audience. We're very excited today to have with us Jonathan Stafford and Wendy Whalen, who are the artistic director and associate artistic director of the New York City Ballet, one of the great cultural institutions in the world. Um, and we're gonna have a lot to cover today. So I'd like to start by asking you to talk a little bit about your journey. You both started dancing when you were very, very young. And could each of you sort of take us how you ended up as a small child dancing to where you are today? Sure. Um, so I grew up in a small town in central Pennsylvania, uh, Carlisle. And my younger sister wanted to start taking ballet lessons because my older sister was into gymnastics. I was playing baseball and soccer. And my mom would bring my older sister and I along to class and rehearsal. And we'd be out in the waiting room and the teachers would pull my mom aside and say, you have to get your son to start. If he's anything like Abby, he, we would love to have him. And there, there was two boys in the school at the time. You know, so you have to, you have to do whatever it takes. And I was not into it at all. And then I saw the Nutcracker and I was like, okay, it's kind of fun, but I was still into baseball. Baseball was my passion, that's what I wanted to do. And then I saw a performance in February of 1989 that changed my life, basically. So there was one advanced guy and he was just dancing this really dynamic athletic piece to this really great music and he was flying around the stage and I went to my mom and my dad that night and said, I think I'll, I'll try ballet. And I tried gymnastics, didn't like it, but I was like, I think I'll try ballet. So I started a couple days later, and um, the rest is history. Wendy? Well, thank God for little sisters, because my little <laughs> sister is why I started ballet as well. Um, I'm the middle of three children, very close in age, and I was apparently at three years old trying to get out, and I jumped on my baby sister, and my mom was like, ah you need a hobby. <laughs> so um, my grandmother had run into the local ballet teacher and she said, oh, bring, bring Wendy to ballet at, at three. So yeah, I just, I never stopped after that. It was kind of my thing. Uh, by the time I was eight, I, I had seen the Nutcracker, I had gotten into the Nutcracker with the Louisville Ballet, which is a pretty decent regional ballet company. Got to dance to a live orchestra in a real costume with real adult dancers, and I was smitten, and that was it. I just I knew I wanted to dance. And then um, when I was 17, I became an apprentice with the New York City Ballet. And um, 30 years later, I retired from New York City Ballet. So, Can, can you now talk a little bit uh, about the history of New York City Ballet? Talk us, take us a little bit th uh, through its origin, Balanchine, Jerome Robbins, Lincoln Kirsten, so people get a sense of the importance of it as an institution. In a nutshell. Um, <laughs> uh, New York City Ballet started in 1948. Uh, George Balanchine had come over from, he had left Russia, gone to Paris, and um, w began choreographing as a young man in his 20s. Um, and Lincoln Kirstein found him, uh, a, a philanthropist and an art lover. He found him in Paris, and he uh, wanted to bring him to America to start American ballet. 
So uh, George Balanchine came over and he started a school. School came first, but first to school, his famous line. Uh, he started the School of American Ballet and then from there built uh, Ballet Society and then eventually in 1948 settled with New York City Ballet. And so we've been running as New York City Ballet ever since then. Uh, soon after New York City Ballet began in 48, Jerome Robbins had become a big fan of the New York City Ballet and Balanchine himself and asked Mr. B if he could uh, come and join the school or join the company, but he was also a choreographer as well. Balanchine and Robbins both choreographed on Broadway and films, so they both have this wide range um, of, of style within themselves, and they were also kind of polar opposites as choreographers, so they had very different distinctive styles, so they complemented each other well, and I think Balanchine ultimately decided to bring Robbins in as an associate artistic director and, uh, and resident choreographer as well, so it was very much our repertory is very much built on the work of Balanchine and Robbins together, and uh, so the company has a, a huge spectrum of, of dances um, that have qualities of Broadway, have you know, very technically um, disciplined precis precision dances, and then some very lighthearted, you know, humorous theatrical works too, so there's something for everybody whether you're a dancer or an audience member. And we're very, very lucky to have that. Mm -hmm. To me, when, when I think about the qualities that make New York City Ballet special, while they have a wonderful orchestra, they have wonderful scenery, costumes, it's really the dancers and the choreography. And you, since we've started on choreography, we'll come to the dancing in a second, but the choreographers, you mentioned Balanchine and Robbins have distinctive different styles. Mm -hmm. What are their different are styles? <laughs> Well, Balanchine, he has, he's always had a, a sort of Feel a, free to get up and demonstrate it. Okay, I will. <laughs> um, just watch out. Um, it's interesting because Balanchine, I, I look at my career as a young dancer, and I remember I was drawn to these Stravinsky ballets. They're very athletic, very angular, very geometrical, uh, mathematical, but also very pure. No costumes, no scenery, just very pure. Um, very interesting uh, intellectual works. And then later in life, I, as I developed artistically, I, I was, became more ready for the, the, uh, the classical, more technical virtuosic roles, um, which are very much often associated with Tchaikovsky. Uh, and then later in life, as I graduated, I became more enamored and more natural at the more romantic ballet. So the little softer ballets, the Brahms and the, and the sort of operatic ballets that Balanchine did. So Balanchine also has a very spiritual quality to his work, even in the geometry of his ballets. So there's always this very heightened quality that's kind of intellectual about his work or very spiritual and poetic about his work. And Robbins had a much more of a, has much more of a human quality mm. about his work and a much more grounded. Um, Balanchine would never put a female dancer on the floor. Mm. It's just that kind of, you know, honoring of, of, of people and, and women in particular. And Robbins was much more like you could get down in his work and, and almost mark things or be a little bit blurry. He liked a little, he had a little more of a watercolory feeling in his work and Balanchine's was very precise and clear. Well, and I think yeah. what's important to point out too is Balanchine came from the Imperial Russian technique style 
And while he came to America in order to basically adapt that, because he thought it was too staid and too uh, superficial, um, showy. And you see him go in that direction when he came to America, and he was influenced by uh, like jazz and things in America, but that Russian imperial influence never left him. As you said, mm -hmm. he would never put a ballerina laying down on the ground. It was always, yeah. you know, the man was always presenting the woman. Whereas Robbins didn't have that. He was distinctly American and created dance based on the things he saw on the street each day, like Fancy Free when the sailors were on shore leave, mm. um, things like that. And so his style went in that direction of being, you know, what Wendy said so well, being very human and emotional. And a lot of times in his ballets, you're not performing to the audience. You're actually performing to each other. Mm -hmm. Whereas Balanchine still follows that kind of more traditional, the audience is there, we're here and we're performing. Um, whereas Robbins wanted the community to ah, forget about the audience, you know, yeah. it was about, and so you would feel this really a strong sense of community, whether you're a principal in the ballet or in the core where you were dancing to each other and with your friends, which was really nice. And, mm -hmm. you know, West Side Story doesn't get more American than that, you know, fancy free those ballets that um, Bounty would have never made in that way. So, so the core of City Ballet's repertory is Balanchine and Robbins. Mm -hmm. But I know that one of the things that City Ballet has always historically done, and you two, I believe, are really want to pioneer, champion, mm -hmm. is new choreography. Mm -hmm. yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about what you look for in a new choreographer and how you think about the new choreography versus uh, sort of balancing the programs with the new choreography and the traditional choreography? Yeah, Balanchine never wanted New York City Ballet to be a museum of his works. He always wanted it to be pushing forward. So he was always giving opportunities at the end of his life to other people to choreograph and fill the rep of New York City Ballet with different ballets. And so we've always done that. And it's really exciting because one of the things we look for is what are the dancers ready to respond to in this current time? Not what they were ready to respond to five years ago. What does this current group of dancers need in a choreographer who's going to come forward and challenge them, who's going to um, you know, present them, uh, put them in a position where they're going to find something within themselves that they never find in the Balanchine or the Robbins rep, push them in a different direction. Um, so we really take on kind of the dancer's needs while also balancing out a million other factors of who's kind of ready to do a, a huge main stage production at a major company and handle that kind of pressure and responsibility. Um, we look at you know, what they've done in other companies and we look at their personality, how they relate to the dancers and make sure it's gonna be a really nice collaborative effort and not a choreographer in the front just kind of dictating and telling them what to do and they're just following. New ballets are always best when the dancers have some input and their own personality comes into it. Just a few of the things we look for. Before I, uh, Wendy responds, I just wanna say your description of responding to today reminded me of a ballet of Justin Peck's called The Times They Are Erasing, mm -hmm. which for those people who haven't seen it, is done in sneakers. Mm -hmm. It's called the sneaker ballet. Sneakers, jackets, mm -hmm. shorts, yeah. Normal clothes. Yeah. yeah, and a bit of kind of grabbing that kind of youth protest movement a little bit and putting it out there on stage, letting emotion just come out in a little bit more of a raw form, unprotected. It's very Robin-esque. <laughs> yeah. Balanchine probably wouldn't do a piece like that ever in his life, but he would probably be very excited that we are doing that now. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, when I look at choreography, I look for someone who has a very clear idea of what, what they want to say, what, how they hear the music, how they 
um, experience movement, I look for someone that that really understands their quality of movement. That aren't just they're not just putting an idea on somebody, but they're really the source of understanding how the movement is. And I, I like people that um, really have their own vocabulary of movement, very clear cut, so that they can bring that out of the dancers. So I, I look for people that are developed more often than not, um, or who have a very, very clear uh, understanding of, of themselves uh, and what they wanna say and do. And also something that's gonna complement the rest of our repertory. I don't look for something that's too far out. Um, I doesn't mean I don't like it, mm -hmm. but I, I want to feed sort of the, the body of what we have already, which is a very, very high level. You both took the helm of the city ballet at a time that was somewhat tumultuous. Uh, Peter Martins had, had, had resigned uh, after some allegations about him. Um, and there were a few, and then six months later, there were some other scandals involving some of the male dancers. And this all happened right during the midst of the Me Too movement. Mm -hmm. And I guess the question I really have for you is, um, how, what was the company like during that period? What are you doing to make sure that people feel safe and supported throughout the company? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a huge focus of ours because um, the ballet world in general, not just New York City ballet, it's a bit of a sink or swim atmosphere. It's kind of like the strong rise to the top, the weak fall away, and then the strong keep their jobs, the weak go away, and then someone else fills that spot. And so there was, you know, I think in the ballet world and cultural issues were left to fester, and someone could be struggling with emotional issues, with physical issues, whatever it may be, and they were afraid to speak up. There was a stigma attached to it that that would mean it would affect their casting. And for a dancer, casting is everything, whether you're out there on the stage or you're not, and someone else is. Um, so what we tried to do immediately was open our doors and open up um, a platform where the dancers can just come and just talk to us and we can get to know them as, and treat them as human beings and not as core member number five who's going to slot into that spot and core number number 10 who's going to slot, slot into that spot, but really treat them like human beings and provide the support they need. And so we've upgraded, as part of our wellness program, we've upgraded our um, our access to mental health professionals, uh, substance abuse professionals, uh, nutritionists, you know, body image in the ballet world can, it, you're staring at yourself in a mirror all day, there can be some issues there, and that's, again, from a very young age, you're in a, a room um, where you're judging yourself. And that's what we've seen with ballet, is that you can get very down on yourself because you're, you're constantly having to self-critique. So we've just really tried to be as supportive as possible, be an ear to listen to, and then just step in when we see an issue um, that we feel like we can proactively manage. And also make sure that if a dancer's going through something that it's not impacted in their casting, yeah. so that that part of it just goes away completely. Um, and just making sure that they feel that we care about them and that they're not just a cog in the machine. Yeah, we're, we're really thinking about the communication between departments and between uh, management and, and the dancers. We're, we're really letting them know that we know they're human first and not just dancers. Um, trying to really remove the stigmas from these things that have been traditionally in, within the art form for a um, couple hundred years. So that's, our, that's what we're doing right now. <laughs> yeah. And there's a hundred of them. You know, yeah. There's a hundred dancers, so there's a lot of needs and a lot of 
uh, different personalities. And so as managers, we just have to really be versatile and um, take the time and the energy to really focus on what we're seeing in front of us. So let me ask you this. I know you have a very good relationship. Do you ever clash about in an artistic vision? I've seen both of you, I've seen footage of both of you coaching dancers. Do you ever say, Wendy says, I want him to go like this. Oh, no, 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 we don't do that. <laughs> no. No. no, we, we, yeah, I think we both see different things in dancers because we, we very much have different strengths um, that we're bringing to the table. Mm -hmm. We complement each other remarkably well. Who knew? I didn't know, you know, mm -hmm. that John and I would be bringing such different sides to this um, platform. Uh, yeah, no. I, I, I think I asked you the other day, he was helping a girl with a step. I was like, what was that correction you gave her? That really was good. That helped her a lot. And so he told me what he said, and, you know, and then I gave some other thing. And, and so we, yeah, we, we work in tandem. Yeah, and, and ballet's the type of thing where the more kind of really focused and educated eyeballs you can get on a specific thing, it's just going to usually help. I mean, there's a point where there's too many cooks in the kitchen, but in general, I'm going to see different things than she's going to see, but they're not going to conflict usually. Um, and part of what we've been doing is bringing back these former uh, stars of the company who a lot of these ballets were created on them by Balanchine and Robbins. And we've been bringing them back as just an extra set of eyes with a great experience to just pull a little bit of extra detail, a little bit more energy, a little bit more... Original or, essence. Yeah, out of the dancers. Um, and that's been really exciting too. I had a couple of quotes that I wanted to get your responses to. One of them was from an article, Wendy, that uh, Jerome Robbins wrote, um, in which he said the following about ballet. Each ballet creates a total world of its own with a morality and behavior particular only to it. The audience feels safe and secure that what they are seeing on the stage is fact, mm -hmm. and they can believe in it. Mm -hmm. Is that yeah, I love that quote so much. It's so him. But it's also balancing because there's a, a, a very strong um, aesthetic choice of being real. There's you know, at no time were they interested in seeing a mask of someone doing something to try to be something else. They wanted the real person. And I worked with Robbins for about 12 years before he passed away. And it was always about, who are you? You know, and I want you, I want you to bring yourself to the stage. And from what I know about Balanchine, it was the same way. It was never about um, trying to be something you're not. It was always know thyself and bring that to the stage. And that's, what I, that's where the beauty lies. Yeah, so, very authentic. Yeah. Everything we do, we want it to be very authentic, that it's not just a show for show's sake. So let me turn to you, Jonathan, with, with another quote that I found from uh, Balanchine. There's a criticism that ballet is out of date, that it's an aristocratic art. It was developed out of the courts of Europe. And then Balanchine said that, quote, woman is the queen of the performance and the men surround her like courtiers. So the argument is that ballet is out of step with the times. So how do you respond to that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think certain aspects of... Uh, ballet that comes from the imperial system are absolutely out of step with the times. Mm -hmm. And that's why you see choreographers starting to play around with gender norms and uh, put two men dancing together or two women dancing together because that idea that a man always has to support a woman and um, that the woman is kind of the, the queen surrounded by men, has it's just not part of our society anymore. And so we're in a place where, you know, 
fortunately, Balanchine was very progressive for his time, so his works will resonate, I believe, for centuries to come, no matter what. Um, but as we're looking at our new commissions and stuff and bringing in people, we are looking to kind of take the idea of ballet forward um, so it doesn't remain stuck back. Um, but classical ballet is as, as alive as it's ever been, in my opinion. Um, you see it on TV, you see it in movies. You know, it doesn't have to be just contemporary, it doesn't have to be modern to go forward. Classical ballet has a real bright future ahead. And we hope and feel like we're gonna be at the forefront of that. And it's just like classical literature. You can read a, an old, very famous uh, epic novel and, and it can resonate today. And it's something you want to read to educate yourself, to think differently and to open up your mind in a different way. But that also is something that you can bring forward and it will speak to what we present next. So it, it's always going to be a part of us. It might be a, a more past part of us, but it's something that will always play a role in, in who we are. I really want to thank you both for coming out and spending uh, an hour with us today. We really look forward to seeing you both uh, at the ballet. Thank you. Thanks. This podcast was recorded on September 16th, 2019. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part or disclosed by any recipient to any other person. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the recipient. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty, express or implied, as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any recipient is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that recipient, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.